You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. God is absolutely immutable. What does immutable mean? It means that God never changes. He never changes. Okay? So let's look at, look at a few verses that we have up here while the projection's operating. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. He said, I am the Lord, and I change not. <clears throat> By the way, we're going to cover a whole lot of scriptures tonight. If you try to reference them all, I may give you, your hands may cramp up. So, um, amen, just stay with us as much as you can. Amen. James 1 and 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He's God and he changes not. There's no variableness, no shadow of turning. Go to Hebrews 6, 17, 18, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, here's that word, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. What he's saying is God more uh, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise. Who's that? That's us. We are heirs of the promise. He said, he, he gives us the immutability of his counsel, where uh, confirmed it by an oath. And he says there were two immutable things. That's this. Number one, God gave us a promise. That's the first thing that he gave us. God gave us a promise. That's immutable. He's God and he changes not. And the second thing was he confirmed that promise with an oath. He said he's God. He cannot lie, right? So when he speaks it, there it is. But then not only that, he said, I'm going to make a covenant. And he told Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. He gives them this covenant. I'm God. I do not change. It was in that faith. Hear me. It was in that faith that Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees and followed God to a promised land. Why? Because he knew God cannot lie and God gave me a promise and God also gave me an oath that if I do this, he's going to do that. Can I tell you it's with that faith I can come in here tonight. He's a God that does not change. And if God said it, I can believe it. And I can put my faith and my trust in him. It's with that that the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Now we're going to see this a whole lot. We're just talking about the unique attributes of God, but you're going to see this a whole lot tonight where Jesus Christ is given the ascription of the same unique attribute of the deity of God. Jesus Christ was not just another man. He was not just another prophet. 
He was not just another rabbi. He was God manifest in the flesh. That is a truth that if you cannot get in your life, there's, there's going to be no success. There's going to be no hope. There's no hope for somebody that cannot acknowledge that truth. That is salvation 101, folks. That is what we are about as the church to preach and to shed the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not apologize for it. I will not back down from it. I will preach the truth if it kills me. He is Lord. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Oh, I wish somebody would say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And the truth is not nasty. It's hard sometimes because when we are confronted with the truth, we got to realize, oh, wow, there's some choices I got to make. Some things I got to change. You cannot, you cannot justify that truth. So we're going to see that a whole lot tonight. Go to uh, Job 23 and 13. Did I put that in there? All right. But he is in one mind who can turn him. See what Job is saying? He's one mind who can turn him. God does not change. He is, he is uh, testifying here to the immutability of God. Also of this interesting note for you to note is as we're covering these different attributes, notice how often we're going to quote Job. I've put intentionally scriptures from Job. Why? Because Job is, as scholars have surmised, most definite, the first book of scripture to be written, to be authored, so that Job was there, the very first book. And I'm going to show you how much doctrine is in the book of Job. We just read through it as a narrative and a story, but there's so much truth in there. So Job is also testifying of this as well. All right. Now, um, let's pause for a minute. He's immutable. Okay, so let's look at this. Now, it's Wednesday night, and I'm going to try not to get too deep, but we do have to reference the second law of thermodynamics. I hope that's okay tonight. All right. Is that all right? Entropy. Anybody remember school? This is going way back. And some of you are looking like, it's just been a long day. There's no way I'm going to have a clue. But, but this is important for us to follow. This, the second law of thermodynamics. God is beyond the scope of entropy. The second law of thermodynamics. If I was to break this down and so, uh, uh, into very understandable, well, not that I know all of this stuff. But as I understand it, as it's been taught to me, as I uh, was brushing up today on the internet on my understanding of thermodynamics, um, <clears throat> I have heard this before, but I did want to just check some things out. I was trying, okay, that's, it's been a long time. The first law of thermodynamics basically states, and I'm very elementary, so any science people in here, please forgive me. But the first law basically states that there is a given amount of universe uh, or, or given amount of energy that exists. That, that amount of energy, does it's a, it's a constant. It's not more and it's not less. So when you're in the law of thermodynamics and you're looking at a situation in a closed system, there is a given amount of energy, not more, not less, and it, it's always there. The energy is always there. The second law of thermodynamics states that that energy, when it's expended, uh, uh, will run out. Energy runs out. 
Okay, you with me? Does that, does that make sense? I want to make sure I'm making this really simple. So energy, once it's used up, you run out of energy. It's the second law of thermodynamics that tells us that there's no way to have a perpetual motion machine. Something has to be causing it. Something has to be causing There has to be energy. There's no machine that runs forever on its own by itself. There's nothing that spins forever by itself. There's nothing that works forever by itself. It always has to be caused by something else. There's an energy, and that energy runs out, okay? So have you ever been to an old uh, mill, and you see the water coming down the hillside, and that's what causes the mill to spin, and the mill spins, and it runs? Well, as a kid, you walk over, and you think, oh, that mill spins forever, but you have a drought, water runs out, and guess what? That mill doesn't spin. It's not a perpetual, perpetual motion. It is acted upon. And so it's the second law of thermodynamics that tells us that everything basically winds down. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons why they're worried about climate change is because if, if all of the polar ice caps melt and all of these other things melt, then, then there'll be a running out of motion. If all the, if all the snow on, 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 on Mount Everest melts and dissipates and all goes into the ocean and stops at a rate, it's moving quicker than it's being replenished by uh, metamorphosis or whatever the process is where, where the dew goes back up, you know what I'm saying, and then it rains and all that stuff. It's dissipating quicker than it's being replenished. That's not the right word. Metamorphosis is not the right word. Okay. So they're worried about that because energy's running down, okay? So this climate change seems to be taking place, which you can be on whatever side you want. Historically, we've proven that climate change has happened throughout the history of mankind, and that's another argument for another day. But they're worried because it's winding down. It's winding down. What happens? So they're, they're, they're getting nervous about all this stuff, and people look at this and they think, oh, there's no hope. Well, without God, there is no hope. And so it's winding down. So that's the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us everything winds down. So energy, once it's spent, all of a sudden is now unavailable for you. So if we go back to the model, you've got water running down the mountain. While the water's running down the mountain, you can harness that energy. But when that water gets to the bottom of the mountain, it's now a lake. Is the energy still there? Yes. The potential for energy is still there. Remember, that's the first law. The energy is, is constant. It's still there. But the problem is the energy got spent. And now we, for, for us to use the energy again, we have to pump the water back up the mountain. Stay with me. We are talking about God tonight, believe it or not. This isn't just science. You have to pump the water back up the mountain for the water to run down again so you can have energy again. The problem is it takes more energy to pump the water up the mountain than it does for the water to run down the mountain. And so man looks at this, ah, what's going on here? And, and everything's winding down. Everything's falling apart. Everything tends to chaos. Everything falls apart, which I think is totally ironic, by the way. This is just a side note, not in my notes. Um, evolution teaches that, that we are getting better and smarter and greater and stronger, but the law of thermodynamics says, hello, everything's winding down, 
tending to chaos. Now, folks, if we would just look at it from that standpoint, that's why the people who walk out of the room say, hey, we can't believe that this is just an accident. And so they come out and scientists are saying, look, there has to be something. God, whatever, even those that don't ascribe that Jesus is God or whatever, that they even attempt to know God, they're saying there's something out there that is causing all of this to take place. So I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. But let's go back to the attribute, the unique attribute. Here's the unique attribute. Everything that exists in creation is winding down. The energy is getting spent. Some of you are already half spent. Amen. You're testifying to that here right now. But God is immutable, which means he does not change, which means he does not degenerate. God is the only self-existent, self-sustaining full proportion machine, whatever you want to call it out there. He is all by himself. He just is. And he's not less than what he was a million billion years ago. He still is. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know about you, but I'm excited that I serve a God that doesn't wind down. Come on, folks. He's not winding down. Amen. Let's look at what the Bible says. This is good stuff. Amen. So here's here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. Can I tell you, God doesn't have bad days. He never gets up on the wrong side of the bed. Come on, he never, he never has a bad, he never gets tired. He never gets weary. He never faints. He never despairs. Oh, how good that is. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. Isaiah 59 and 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. <laughs> you know what he's saying? He, that word shortened. He's saying it's not reduced in what it was able to do, that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. If God's ever redeemed a heathen, God can still redeem a heathen. If God's ever done a miracle, God can still do a miracle. Hallelujah. Folks, this ought to impact your faith. Come in. Hey, it's Wednesday night. I know it's Wednesday night, but he's the same God he was Sunday night. And he's the same God he was Sunday morning. And he's the same God he was on the day of Pentecost. And he's the same God he was standing before the Red Sea. My God does not change. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. He is self-existent. Okay? He's self-existent, and he requires no outside energy. He requires no outside energy. In fact, he is energy. (laughs) I am the way, the truth, and the life. This isn't in my notes, but we we may just take more than three weeks to get through these notes. Scientists have discovered that our Universe is expanding. Now, one model for creation, they say, is the Big Bang. 
but there's quite a bit of discrepancies in there, and there's a lot of people that would refute that, and they think it had to be something else, but one of the things that they're thinking was that there was some kind of an explosion, and a testimony or testifier of that, they say, is that the universe is still expanding, and that it's still getting larger. By the way, Zechariah knew that when he said he's the Lord that stretcheth, not past tense, not present tense, or not future tense, but present tense. He, he, Zechariah said, my God, he's the God that stretcheth, that is right now stretching out the heavens. Folks, come on, we, we, we got to be careful. We, we think we're so smart now. We got all these degrees and we got the internet and we can go to the moon and we can do all this kind of stuff. Hello, God's been around a lot longer than we have. He's the God that stretcheth out the heavens. But you know, even for the Big Bang to work, the atmosphere would have had to have been charged. There would have had to have been some kind of electricity. There would have had to have been something. There would have had to have been energy from somewhere. So they call the Big Bang. They don't know if that model's right, but there was something there. Well, I tell you, I, I, I think I know. I think I know what happened in the beginning. <laughs> God said, and he is energy. He's the life. It's not rocket science, folks. It's just, I'll tell you, if you just follow this word, if you just trust the word of God, amen, your life could get a whole lot better. Amen. Well, I'm preaching. I'm going to go to meddling if I'm not careful. <clears throat> Romans eleven twenty nine. Look at this. This is beautiful. God, not only does he not degenerate, not only is his hand not shortened, but the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He's God. He does not change. They do not diminish his purposes and his plans. Amen. Thank God for that. He's self-existent. He requires no outside energy. And that is really, let's go to Exodus chapter 3 and we'll see this. This is really small for you to see. but And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you and they shall say unto me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, here it is. I am that I am. He's self-existent. He just is. I am that I am. You are. How are you? Well, I am that I am. He, he, there's no outside energy that is imposing or creating God. Deuteronomy 32 and 40. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live Forever. That's God speaking to them. John 5 and 26. Here is the words of Christ. For as the Father hath life in himself. Okay. He hath life in himself. There's no external cause. He hath life in himself. He's self-existent. So hath he. Who's that? The Father given to the Son. Who's that? That's the incarnation. To have life in himself. Amen. So we see that Jesus is making that same claim. He said it many times before Abraham was. I am. So whatever God has ever been is what he is now and what he will be. He is immutable 
and he alone never changes. What's that old song? He's the great I am, the everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, great eternal wonder, holy counselor, Zion's righteous governor. He's the great, he's the great I am. Now, I know that's an older melody, and I know that's an older song, but there's some truth in there, and that's still relevant, because when I sing about how great he is, I realize, hey, his word's still true. If he's still the self-existent one, and he hasn't degenerated at all, then that means his promises are still true, his word's still true, his gifts and callings are still true, amen, and that has total implication upon me, amen. That's why we can come in when it looks dark and say, there's going to be a revival in the land because that's God's will. It's God's purpose. Amen. That's not, that's not some kind of emotionalism. That's faith. All right, let's go to the next one. God is absolutely omniscient. Amen. God is absolutely, absolutely omniscient. And omniscient simply means this. He knows everything. He knows everything. He is absolute in knowing everything, and there's no way to search out the depths of his understanding. If we go to Psalms 147 and 5, it says, Great is the Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, whom hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. And then he asks this question, Why say thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from God? He said, How can you say that? God knows everything. And if God knows everything, then there's a consolation that God knows right where you are tonight. God knows right what you're dealing with right now. Preacher may not know, parents may not know, children may not know, spouse may not know, but God knows right now everything that you're going through. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to know that God knows. One of the, one of the most tragic things that causes depression and suicide is that loneliness in this world. Loneliness is a true thing. Loneliness can lead to a hopelessness. Amen. Thinking there's no hope. Can I tell you, there is hope. God knows. God knows. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. Amen. Colossians 2 and 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of the wisdom of God. Amen. In his, uh, I I guess I didn't give you that one. Okay. Uh, Let's go on in his omniscience, okay, in his omniscience, in his knowledge of everything, God knew that we would not be immutable, but that we would also decay, that we would deteriorate, that we would degenerate. He knew that we would fail. He knew. But he also knew that we could never survive in the presence of a holy God. And because he's transcendent, because he's absolute. But he also a man in his knowledge provided the way that we could know a holy, absolute God, transcendent God. And he also provided a way, which is awesome, that even though we are subject to decay and failure, he provided a way or knew a way out for us to enter into resurrection 
and the life. And so Acts testifies in Acts 15 and 18, it says this, Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. Now, this is an important thing for you to understand. God is not letting this thing play out just to see where it's going to go. God already knows where it's going. He knew where it would go before He even spoke the very first thing into existence. It already was done. It was already settled. He already knew that in His omniscience. He already had a way of escape. He already had a way a man for us to escape the judgment of the Lord. He knew how to create and to keep his degenerating creation from being consumed by his glory, his transcendence. He knew how to renew the dying creation into everlasting life. And I ought to say thank God for that right there. He knew how to make himself known and understood. He's omniscient. People that say, oh, you can't know God because he's too unknowable. And, 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 and God is a mystery. You'll never understand him. Well, I'm sorry. I think I said it last week. I'm sorry that you serve that kind of God. But the God I serve is so smart <laughs> that he knows we can't know him, but yet he knew a way to find that we could know him, that he could express himself to us, folks. That is the whole point of the incarnation. That's the whole point. Was so that we could know God. That's what it's all about. Amen. Thank God for that. He still knows how to reveal himself. Amen. God's not up there saying, man, I wish those people could just figure me out. He knows how to reveal himself to us. Amen. And he knows everything that there is to know. And he knows everything there is not to know. Amen. Let's go to Job 34 and 21. Here we are. Job testifying again. For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. He sees. He knows everything. Psalms 139, 2 and 3. Thou knowest my downsitting, my uprising, and thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Now think about that. He understands my thoughts afar off. Now that's not talking about location. Okay? <laughs> That's not saying God understands my thoughts from way, way far, far away. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying afar off, before I was even born, before I was even an entity, God understood my thoughts. He knew what I would think. He knew what was going to happen. You think about that. Wow. I mean, wow. That's pretty unbelievable. That's why he's God and we're not. So, Proverbs 15 and uh, uh, well, thou can pass my path, my laying down there, acquainted with my ways. Proverbs 15 and 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Nothing you do that God does not see, that God does not know. Amen. Another place testifies that even the hairs on your head are numbered. I have no clue how many hairs are on my head, but I know it's not like what it used to be. <laughs> and God knows. And he's got them all classified, however that is. He knows, Job said, he knows the stars, the number of the stars, and he calleth them all by name. Wow, that's just unbelievable. Amen. Uh, Jesus testifies here, this is beautiful, John 6 and 64. But there are some of you, Jesus said, that believe not. Or no, John's writing. There are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not 
and who should betray him. John was testifying here. Jesus knew. So John is giving to Jesus the same attribute that is given to deity, the unique attribute that's given to deity, saying Jesus knew who was going to betray you. And can I tell you, God knows right now, we can think, we deceive ourselves when we think we commit acts in private, in secret, or we do things, thoughts. You know, you can sin in your mind without ever acting things out. It begins in your heart. It begins in your mind, and you meditate upon things and angers and rages and stuff. Can I tell you, God knows the things that are going on inside of our life. And John, again, Peter ascribes it to him in John 21 and 17. Peter was grieved because he said unto me the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, this is Peter responding, Lord, thou knowest all things. God, Jesus was trying to teach him a principle and kept saying, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And finally, Peter got upset and said, Yes, I know you know all things. You are God. He was giving him that testimony. That's pretty, pretty high accolade there that he was testifying. Amen. Job also again testified. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. I think, um, what else did we put up there? What's the next verse we put up? Romans eleven thirty three. 33. All right. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know what that's saying? doesn't mean that we can't know God. But it's saying we will never exhaust God. We could spend our everlasting and we would still never be able to exhaust the depths of the riches and the knowledge of God. Now, folks, that's pretty unbelievable to even think about, to even comprehend. Amen. All right. We want to look at this. Three dimensions of omniscience. Three dimensions of omniscience. And we'll see... How far we get tonight? Three dimensions of omniscience. These are not the dimensions of past, present, and future, which some uh, other religions have ascribed to God, past, present, and future, and that's why he's God, because he knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future. That's not talking about that. Although God knows all of that stuff. But these are the three different dimensions of omniscience. The first dimension of omniscience is this, that Jesus or God knows everything that can be known. There's a testimony in uh, a verse in Romans chapter 1, and it says, that which may be known of God. And so by that phrase, that which may be known of God, we know two things. We know that there are things that we can know of God, and then there's things that we can't know of God. And so God knows everything that can be known. He knows everything that can be known. That's what makes him God. If he did not know everything that could be known, he would cease to be a deity in that context, to be the, the God. That's what, it, that's what it means. The second dimension of omniscience is this, that God knows everything that cannot be known. That means there are things that we cannot know. We cannot know because we're finite. We cannot know eternity. We can know everlasting life. But we cannot know the eternal. Now, in the King James Version, those words are used interchangeably often. And sometimes they can be confusing. But there's a difference between everlasting and eternal. Everlasting goes infinite, but it has a beginning. It has a starting point. Eternal has no beginning and no ending. 
We cannot know eternal. We have a beginning. We cannot know that. So there's a lot of things that we cannot know. There's other dynamics in the spirit realm and, and, and other things that we cannot know. Save God, teach us. There's a lot of things that we don't know about the workings of the universe. One of the things I love is um, uh, gravity. We still don't know what gravity is. What is gravity? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know, what gra- we don't know what's holding the world together. We don't know what's col- holding us down here. We're moving right now at approximately 1,000 a th- a miles per hour right now in the earth rotation, unless you believe in flat earth, of course. Um, but we are moving around 1,000 miles per hour, and we're, we're, we're here. Even if you believe in a flat earth, what's holding you down? What's, what's keeping you from just floating around out there? What's holding you down? We don't know. It's, we just call it gravity. We're not really sure what it is. There's these magnetic poles from different things, but we're not really sure exactly all the different things, and so we haven't figured it out. We can't totally reproduce it, some kind of magnetism or something like that, but it's just here. There's a lot of things that we cannot know, but God knows everything that cannot be known. And here's the third one. This might be something that'll take a little bit for you to wrap your mind around at first, but the third one is this. God knows nothing. God knows nothing. He's the only one that knows nothing. He knows nothing. He knows everything that can be known. He knows everything that cannot be known, but God also knows nothing. You catch what I'm saying? Before anything was, I am. He's the only one that knows nothing. See, you, you, you may not know very much, but there's nobody in here that knows nothing. Everybody knows something because your existence has always been alongside something else. But God, as the self-existent one, is the only one that knows nothing. Isn't that pretty cool? He knows nothing. My God's so great, he knows nothing. That's how great he really is. Think about it. You follow me? That's how truly eternal he is. He knows nothing. Now, he knows nothing with a capital N in the sense that he knows Nothing. He knows what it's like to know nothing. Nothing's around, and it's just him all by himself. That's what God knows. But in the other realm, he also knows nothing with a lowercase n. He knows nothing. You catch that? He knows nothing, but he also knows nothing. He doesn't know something in the way that we know something. We know something by this. We learn it. And then it has to be reinforced through our practices and our exercise. But God doesn't know stuff like that. He already possesses the knowledge of all of that stuff. He doesn't learn things like we learn them. He doesn't learn something like we learn something. So in that sense, God knew nothing. He's never, oh, now I know that. Oh, now I know what that's like. God's never had one of those moments where, oh, now I know. He's always known. That's why he's absolutely omniscient. He's not just pretty knowable. He's not just pretty knowledgeable, but he is absolutely omniscient. 
Now, if that's the God I serve, why in the world do I argue with him when he tells me what's best for me? Come on, somebody. If you get a revelation of what God is and who he is, Come on, there's, that, that, it's a whole lot easier to say, okay, God, I give up. I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I'm going to do it because your word says it. Some people want to fight and they say, oh, I, preacher, I don't want to do that. I, you know all that stuff you're teaching. Yeah, I'm not, I haven't figured all that stuff out yet. I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that. Well, so sad and sorry for you. I haven't got it all figured out either. But one thing I have got it figured out is that he knows a whole lot more than I know. And if he knows everything there is to know, and he knows everything that I cannot know, and he even knows nothing, I think I ought to let him tell me how to live my life. So I'm going to let God be God. Let God teach me. Is that all right? Amen. Amen. What time is it? Praise the Lord. God is absolutely sovereign. He rules and he reigns and he is absolutely always in control. He is absolutely sovereign. Are you enjoying this? Is this okay? Hallelujah. He reigns, he rules, he's always in control. Let's let's see how far we can get. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17. For the Lord, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. Amen. This is the God. He's sovereign. He is sovereign. He's absolutely and utterly in control. Brother... um, Will Banks, Sunday night, alluded to that when he said, presidents come, presidents go, kings come, kings go. And this is, this is the understanding of that. God is sovereign. There's no one that rules, that takes authority, that God has not permitted them to step into that role of authority. God is in control. Even if he allows and permits evil to have its day for a season, God is still in control. At the snap of a finger, at the twinkling of an eye, he can shut it all down. He can turn it all around. He can flip it upside down. He can change everything in one moment. He has that power. And so he's always in control. God does not have an identity crisis. And as evil goes on and the heathen rages, God is not worried one bit about how this thing is going to shake out and how this thing is going to turn out. He's as confident as confident could be because he knows that he is in control. Daniel 2 and 47, the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. So even the great Babylonian king would acknowledge to Daniel the sovereignty of God. Paul would write in 1 Timothy 6, 15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor 
can see, to whom be honor and power and everlasting. Amen. Amen. So God is absolutely sovereign. Go to Revelations, and here we see in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 17 and 14, these shall make war with the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? We know who the Lamb is. And the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world, shall overcome them. Folks, Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world before it ever happened. Isaiah, 500 years before, could speak as if it was already passed. He could say, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. Isaiah could tap into the promise and the hope then, even though it had not yet played out, because God had already purposed it. In his omniscience and in his sovereignty, he understood it was going to play out. Can I tell you, though the book of Revelation has not yet unfolded, I can take consolation in the word that it says, and it says the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I'm already on the winning side. It may not have played out, but I know God is sovereign, and it's going to come to pass. The devil is a liar. Come on. We do win. We do make it. Hallelujah. Revelation 19. And I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude. And as a voice of many waters. And as a voice of mighty thundering. Saying Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of Lords, hallelujah. What an awesome God we serve. I don't know about you, but that's going to be a pretty awesome day. That's going to be a pretty awesome moment when we see this play out just as God has said. Amen. He's sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. And that's his prerogative as a sovereign. He is, ult- he is absolutely sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. Anytime he wants. And that's his prerogative as God. He even can break the rules of creation and his own laws that he set into place of science and nature. He can break the rules if he wants. Why? Because he's sovereign. And so he did. We see in Joshua where he breaks the rules and he caused the sun to stand still. We see in the book of Isaiah that when the king asked for a sign, God allowed the rotation of the earth, folks, to go backwards. That would set a cosmic explosion. There would be such utter chaos in our solar system if all that happened. But yet God in his sovereignty can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. (laughs) That's why we can walk in here on a Sunday morning and say, God, I know the doctors say cancer. But you can break the rules whenever you want to. God, I, I, 
I, I know what this looks like, but I know that you're sovereign. Isn't that what the centurion was saying? When he said, Lord, my servant is at home sick. Jesus said, I'll come. He said, oh, no, you speak the word only, for I'm a man of authority. And I know that if you will speak the word, it shall be done. Oh, I wish somebody to get faith in your life again and understand that he is almighty. He's sovereign in our life. Amen. Even the untamable powers of creation are subject to his will. They would say in Matthew, behold, they would say, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Amen. I pulled up a song that came out probably in the late 90s called Stranger. I was studying today and I got to this passage and I just had to pull it up on YouTube and just play it and shout a little bit. What manner of man is this who even calms the winds and the waves? Amen. And they sing that song, Do You Know the Man? Do You Know the Man? Amen. If you've never heard that, you ought to pull it up. I can't remember who the author was. Maybe... Uh, Donald Lawrence or somebody like that or something, but Stranger, gospel song. Man, it's a good song. It's a good song. It's a youthy song. It's a fun song, but it's a good song. It's talking about the power of God. Amen. What an awesome God he is. Amen. We uh, probably should stop. <clears throat> I didn't hear an amen there. I thought that would be a good time for somebody to amen. I thought <clears throat> I was setting you up there. <clears throat> Let's stand together and we'll, we'll catch back up here next week and we'll see. We got through, well, we almost got through, we almost got through four of them to, or three of them tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I want to know who God is. That's why Paul said, oh, that I might know. The more I learn about him, the more I want to know about him. And the more I know about him, the more it changes the way I live and the way I am. It really does impact your life. It really does. That's why Jesus wants us to know him. He wants us to know him in his spirit. He wants us to know him in the, in the embrace of his love and all that stuff. But he wants us to know him. To know. Amen. Can I tell you? These are keys to the kingdom right here. These are keys to the kingdom. Understanding who Jesus Christ is. Knowing who Jesus Christ is. Peter... Jesus said, I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom. You know, at the point that he gave him the keys of the kingdom was when Jesus Christ confessed that he was God. It was at that point of confession. Who do men say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what he was saying? He was saying, you are, you are the offspring of God himself. You are, you alone have possession of these unique attributes that deity holds. That's what Peter was saying. And Jesus looked at him and said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The foundation of the church is the identity of Jesus Christ. I want you to catch that. It is not the Holy Spirit. It is not prayer. It is not love. It is the identity of Jesus 
Christ. That's why it's so important that we know who Jesus is. That's why we take time on Wednesday night to come in and just open up the Word of God and learn the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Would you just ask God to help?